on today's episode of You Don't Need a Boyfriend, You Just Need a Therapist. Escape With Me Book Club. Escape with me, Lizzie Sawyer. And me, Sam Reiner. Into our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about a new book. We're going to be covering it from the beginning to the very end. So remember, there will be spoilers. Today we're going to Seaside, Maine. Published in 2018, Wendy, a single mother struggling with debt, comes to inherit a beachside cottage. With the new windfall, Wendy heads to Maine to renovate the cottage to sell for top dollar. While there, her son Jackson and the local carpenter get other ideas. This is an adult romance book, but it's pretty PG, and I feel like anyone above the age to understand or having a concept of what death is, I could probably give it to a fifth grader and it would be fine it's very pg it's very pg i think the most that happens is they kiss and that's it that is it yep that's the only thing they do so it is an extremely pg book this book was neither of us pick it was a random book we found on a best christmas books list which i'm side-eyeing that list now but <laughs> how dare you list this was an adventure for both of us so we knew nothing about going to this book so judging a book by its cover slash what was written on the back because looking at the cover it's pretty basic it's just this house next to arguably you could even say a river it doesn't really look like the ocean or anything like that it's next to water kind of on a cliff sort of yeah so it's pretty basic it looks like a Christmas book there's a little Christmas tree outside and then the description of it makes it sound like I don't know I was kind of expecting Jonathan Scott from the twin renovation series that they have all like six of them that they have now right so i was expecting that guy to come over and redo this house for this woman and while he's working on the house they fall in love or something like that's what i was expecting going into this i'm pretty cheesy though apparently this is what i hoped the romance would be so what did you think from the cover from the cover slash the intro that we had to read yeah obviously gonna be a romance by the ocean i figured they were going to visit family or something and she was going to fall in love with a random dude or they're going on vacation for Christmas and she's going to fall in love with a random dude. In all of my scenarios in my head, I figured she's going to go from where she is to the ocean. There's going to be a random dude and she's going to fall in love with him and then, you know, shenanigans ensue. So basically, you were correct. Yeah, I got exactly what I thought was going to happen. And I was disappointed. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Let's get into this. Now we join Wendy and Jackson as they head towards the Inherited Beach House in Maine. To get this out of the way, this is a Hallmark movie as a book. Straight up. I have listed the bullet points of the Hallmark checklist. If they get married, are they going to stay in her house or in his house? Whose house are they going to sell? They can't keep both houses. Well, actually, I was sitting there and halfway through the book, I was like, she should just move in with him and sell the house. That way she gets all her debt covered and she can stay in Seaside. Right? Done. Okay, let's go down the checklist that I have. So, good person down on their luck, which Mm, 
on Wendy being a good person, because normally it's save the orphanage type of person in Hallmark movies, and Wendy's kind of self-absorbed. I mean, she's not the worst person ever. I don't know if we really get a good view of whether she's a good or a bad person because she spends so much of the book going, I have to sell the house. I don't want to tell my son that we have to sell the house, but I have to tell the son that I have to see the house. So we don't really get more than just worry out of her, and she doesn't really interact with more than like three people. Yeah. She's nice to kids. I will give her that. Yeah. That was the one thing. Her good person moment was when she went over to Tracy's mom and she was sick and she semi looked after her. She didn't really do much. She kind of watched the kids that night. So she's a nice person, but not necessarily the over the top good person that Hallmark typically goes for. Yeah. I think if there was a subplot about Wendy finding Tracy's mom a better job or doing some sort of town fundraiser to help her fix up her house, then we would hit Hallmark good person down on their luck. She didn't have time because she has to sell the house within a certain period of... But yeah, definitely. If there had been something else, it would have been obviously good person, but it was very much a worry. Worry. Worry, worry, worry. Yeah. It became a singular personality trait. This cottage. And it kind of makes me miss romance novels where the main character's only trait is being beautiful. Because at least that's something romance related. This is a romance book. That's what I want. That is what I'm here for. Right. But anyway, in addition to that, we have the love interest. The random love interest, who is way too gorgeous. They can typically go on one of two routes. It can either be he's already a dad and has kids and they're having issues, or he's single for a ridiculously long amount of time. We fall into the second category here. Yep. And then she has a rival in Crystal, which I feel like Crystal could have been used better. She's very stereotypical in their interactions because it's literally Wendy goes to her, Crystal is mean to her overtly. At some point, Crystal makes Wendy feel bad about herself past the point where it's kind of ridiculous how cartoonish she is. Wendy gets out of proportionately distressed by this because Crystal obviously doesn't like her and is clearly trying to make you feel bad and why are you listening to this woman? Yeah, it's not even a case where, hey, they're dating like this is the evil fiance or something like that. It's literally just a random woman who likes Caleb and works at the store. She's just a horrible person. Why do you care what she thinks? Seriously, and the first time, it's like, okay, that makes sense. She looks like an authority figure for this shop where she's like, ooh, your stuff is dumb and whatever. Your stuff is dumb. But the second time around where this exact same thing happens, Wendy should have been like, that's what you said last time. But Caleb wants to look at my stuff, so shut up. Thank you, but no thank you. Your opinion is not needed. And then we have the real life coming in between them. So that's, of course, the cottage, which we've mentioned several times because it's mentioned so much in the book. It's mentioned so many times. And so the whole book is her renovating the house because if they don't, she's got all this debt and they just really need it so they could get back ahead because there were medical debt and she still has student loans and she wants to have college money for her son. So if they sell the house, they'll be in a really good place. But if they don't sell the house, well, she could end up like Tracy's mom. Tracy's mom's got it going. <laughs> Sorry. Apparently not. <laughs> 
And then there's the unrealistic happy ending, where they just finally come together. And he's like, I know, this will fix everything. Just marry me. And she's like, is this a pity marriage? And she's like, no. And she's like, okay, I will marry you. We have had one date and one kiss. And sometimes you hang out with my son. You don't know him at all. She really doesn't. He could be a total douche in disguise. Let's see. I wrote down the days. Let me count the ways. <laughs> she is there for 16 days. So two weeks and two days. And she decides she's going to marry this man. Yeah. I have met this man. I shall marry him. And I kind of expected that. But at the same time, this book is too short. It's like 126 pages, I want to say. Here, I have it in front of me. Oh, there's a little bit more. I lied. 167 pages. And she spends so much of it renovating the house that you get to the end and they just have to rush everything. It doesn't even get to Christmas. No. Nope. We don't even get to have Christmas by the sea. We get a light festival by the sea. And this book should have been called Thanksgiving by the sea. We got that. Yep. And making Christmas ornaments by the sea and finding an absurd number of sand dollars by the sea. I feel like this was false advertising. I wanted to get in the Christmas mood after this, but after that, I just... Feel mildly stressed. <laughs> That's what I got. I finished and I was like, I still feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I still feel like there's a lot of things going wrong right now. I honestly kind of wanted to go and watch Hallmark movies after that because I was like, this can be done better. Because they're better. <laughs> and Hallmark movies is the level of better that I wanted. It's just the perfect amount of cheese. Yeah. And an overly good person falling in love with a dude that's either clueless or stupid. In love with the evil villain who's cartoonishly a villain. But in the end, it's okay. For some dumb reason. That's all I wanted. All I wanted was a simple story about a woman on hard times falling in love with a man and having a happier life at the end of it. And that's not necessarily what I got. They tried. Not very hard, but they tried. I feel like if they had that subplot, because it got to the point where it was like, oh, hey, Wendy, you can make stuff for me and you can also take Crystal's job. I was like, no, give that job to Tracy's mom. You can totally do this. We can make life better for this woman. I have a better idea. How about I marry you and we give that job to Tracy's mom. <laughs> and then I was kind of expecting more of a romance between Jackson and Tracy. There was hints of it and I guess he is turning 13 so I think it was age appropriate but I was hoping for a little bit more on that. I also expected him to be older and then we got into it and he was like he's turning 13 soon but then there was that whole parentification with his dad where he's like you have to become the man now even though you're not even in double digit age. I want you to feel the full responsibility of an adult, even though you are a child. Yup, because that doesn't injure people's brains. Speaking of needing therapy, Jackson was the most adult character in this book. Jackson also signed himself up for school without asking his mother. Which I think is both hilarious and bad parenting on her part. Not because he did it, but because he was stepping on the school bus and she was like, this is fine. This is just a distraction. I'll let him go to school here. Say no. That's the point where you're like, sit your butt down. We're having a conversation right now. And I'm going to be the bad guy. But no, Wendy doesn't have a backbone. Wendy has no backbone. And that is the premise of the entire plot. That is what's pushing this plot forward is Wendy has no backbone and Jackson is going out of his way to try to stay in this city. It's absolutely absurd. Jackson is the main character. He's not the narrator. 
but he's the main character. And the lack of romance in this book makes me so mad. What the heck? Who advertises this as a romance book and the only thing that happens is they go on one date. And they kiss one time. They kiss one time and at the end I guess there's an engagement. Yeah, it's not a romance book. It's not a romance book. Why can't for once I pick up a romance book and the character just find love? Is that so hard? There is a really cheesy romance book I read ages back that I can attempt to find for you but there's actual romance in it. That's all I ask. It's a solid block of cheese though. I'll wade through it and decide afterwards whether or not it was worth it. (laughs) See if I can find it. I go into a mystery book I expect a competent mystery. If you go into a fantasy you would expect world building and maybe fantasy races or things like that. If you go into a romance it's not too much to expect love. When was the staple taken away from the genre? Or at least the good staples to beginning of love. We go on several dates. Yeah, yeah, so we're in love. I don't necessarily need it to end with marriage, but I'd like it overarchingly be like, yeah, we're in love and dating now. It's all happy now. We've defeated the whatever villain that is hampering our relationship. That's all I want. And at no point did I feel like she was in love with him. No. There is not even like, oh, he made me feel giddy or happy or anything like that. She's not even excited to see him. At no point. There wasn't even a puppy love stage. And they want to jump to marriage? Alright, guys. Good luck with that one. I'm disappointed. I'm sad. I'm not in the Christmas spirit. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. This author has written over 200 books. 200 books! There's no way she has gotten that far without knowing how to write a decent book. But it feels like possibly there's a little bit more quantity than quality and that makes me so sad yep you gotta pop them books out don't water down your brand but yeah there's not much else to say about this book it is very short i did not expect it to only be 167 pages as you get deeper and deeper in every time that she was like i won't tell him i'll tell him later i'll tell him later i'll tell him later every time that that came up i was like the further you get into this the deeper you go the worse that his reaction is going to be the more that you let him dissolve into this delusion and then he ran away. Yeah, I called halfway through the book. He's gonna run away. As soon as she's like, hey, I'm selling the house. And then they get him back and he's like, well, I knew we were gonna sell the house. And I was like, then why did you run away? Because how else were we gonna end this plot? You think she was gonna be responsible and tell him? No! No! Of course Crystal told him! It had to be Crystal! You know what would have been better? If this was a Hallmark movie, we would have seen Crystal tell him. And she would have had that evil look in her eye, and she would have had that tone, and she would have told him, and we would have seen Jackson get all set and run away. Instead of hearing it, fourth person? Because we don't hear it even from Crystal, we hear it from Caleb, who's talking to Crystal, talking about how she told Jackson. I do like the suspense of, he's supposed to come home now, calls Caleb. Where's my son? Your son? My son! (laughs) Oh, I guess he ran away. (laughs) It had decent suspense there-ish, kind of. But at what point was Caleb gonna call Wendy and be like, hey, did Jackson decide not to come? Right. I feel like that's what a responsible person would do when they're expecting a child to be somewhere. He's gonna make a great stepdad. There are so many unanswered questions by the end of this book, and it makes me frustrated. 
that it's 167 pages. It doesn't even make it to Christmas. The most we get Christmas-wise is there's kind of a description of a Christmas event, but it's mostly glossed over. And it sounds like something a small town would definitely put on. And so I could imagine it in my head having been to a couple of those, but it's not Christmassy. I wouldn't read this book and be like, hey, I want to get in the Christmas mood. Let me read this book. It kind of works out that we read this and we have it scheduled for the beginning of the December because we ended up reading it around Thanksgiving, which is the correct time to read this book. Yeah, because the only holiday is Thanksgiving. The only holiday is Thanksgiving. And what was that with the whole connection with the grandma? That never shows up again? Yeah, no clue. And then there was Allison, the sister, who was a waste of character. I thought Allison was the mother. No, Allison's the sister. The mom and dad go south for winter. What was the mom's name? I don't know. We don't know. No, he talks because the mom owns the shop. She does, but they never say her name. Let me double check real quick. Nope. Colton, Nana, and Beth. I don't know how Beth is related to anybody, but she was in the kitchen for Thanksgiving. Yeah, they don't give her a name. Oh. Joy. The mom and dad go south for the holidays and leave the entire family for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yep. Good luck, guys. Have a fun holiday. That doesn't feel real. And I know there are plenty of snowbirds that absolutely do this, but it was really weird to be like, hey, our parents gave us this entire house because they went south and we won't be seeing them for the entire of the holidays. Yeah, that's normal, right? Sure. That was weird. And it's not even that she's refraining from being like, oh, that's just extemporaneous characters. So we don't need to talk about them. She has Claire's best friend and her husband in the beginning of the book. And she lists a Beth character who who knows how she comes into play in any of this. And then Jim Burns comes in at the end. <laughs> she's not against throwing in these random characters. So I don't understand why you couldn't throw in two more. Heaven forbid he have parents. No, she can only bond with Nana. No one else. No one else. Just Nana. Nana was cool. Nana deserved more than one scene. Nana was great. She's a good Nana. The football scene would have been hilarious as a Hallmark movie. I'm just gonna say this straight up. Melody Carlson, get that Hallmark movie in production. Sell the rights to Hallmark. They would make great use of this book. They'd make it better. Yes, there are a lot of scenes where if you could have seen it instead of having it just briefly described, it would have been so much better. The look the Hallmark movies always give to the villains where it's like cartoonish glaring at people all the time because it's like, you need to know from the first scene that they're a terrible person. This is a terrible person. They don't deserve love, so you will actively root against them and hope they ruin their own lives. Oh, look, they've ruined their own lives. Thanks to the love and support of our main character. I'm not lying when I said I wanted to go on a Hallmark binge afterwards, though. Did you? No, I don't have cable. So here we be. <laughs> I did think about several Hallmark movies that I saw. So that's kind of the depths of disparity there. I may have some. I'm not sure. I need to buy Holiday in Handcuffs because that is the only Hallmark movie I have ever been excited about because it is, it is Mario Lopez and the woman that played Sabrina the Teenage Witch and kidnapping, but it's okay because true love and it's just, it's ridiculous and I love it. And I need to get that somehow. But overall, we have been recording for 30 minutes. So when it's edited, it's going to be even less than that. There's not really much else to say about the book. No, not really. It's a book. Yes, that's about it. It's an idea. It's a concept, really. It makes for a great 
little blurb on a book list on the internet. Yep. I did not get my Jonathan Scott, though. So I am disappointed. Although Caleb was kind of cool. I was chill with Caleb. It's okay. I thought it was really cute that he pretended to be the hardware store employee when he wasn't. That was a cute idea. But I knew I wasn't going to like the book where Wendy's first reaction to him was to hate him because he teased her, question mark? I can't believe he's teasing me. Mm. Ugh. How dare anyone have a sense of humor and do anything possibly and remotely at my expense. I can't possibly laugh at myself. That would be attractive. Yes. Once again, another case of why are you into her? You know, I asked my last boyfriend that about his last girlfriend. I was like, you're gonna marry that chick. What is wrong with you? Well, Caleb's next girlfriend can ask him that. Oh, you mean next ex-wife since he's also apparently had... No, it wasn't a wife, it was a girlfriend. He had a fiance. When he told that whole story, he got quiet and I was like, don't tell me she died. She didn't die. Of course she died. No. And he's like, she died. And I was like, no! (laughs) (laughs) I walked right into that. (laughs) And the entire book, he's like, oh, he's a confirmed bachelor. He's a confirmed... Which is, that's the first time I've ever heard that term. Confirmed bachelor. I've heard that term before. I can't remember where I last heard it used, but I've I've definitely heard that term before. I don't feel like you can apply that to somebody in their 30s. Is that weird? I feel like confirmed bachelor, you have to get to like your 50s and be like, I have made it through most of my life without... But a lot of people get married for the first time in their 30s now. Yeah, no clue. That felt a little dismissive. Everyone was like, oh, you can't date him. He's a confirmed bachelor. I'm like, if he starts dating someone, he's not a bachelor anymore. Jeez, Crystal. Crystal, uh, I wanted either more cartoonishly villainous or, like I said, it would have been better if she was a fiance. I think that's what Hallmark usually has them as the fiance because it adds that extra tension of, oh, they can't be together because she's blocking their love or something. They can't be together because he already has a someone. Yeah, but the way it is, Crystal has no chance and Wendy takes way too much of Crystal's opinion as serious. And it's dumb and fake drama. And Caleb should tell Crystal off way sooner. But at the end, she gets fired. And now I'm curious if she stays in Seaside and gets another job or if she has to move now. I'm kind of hoping she stays in Seaside and opens a rival store of some sort. And then we have a part two to this. Oh, she doesn't have the know-how to be able to do that. You kidding? We don't know that. We don't see her actually do her job. There's that one scene where Wendy sells the stuff to the people and she comes back and she's just like, they're my customers, but we never actually see her interact with customers. So for all we know, she could be great at it. I'm standby. Sequel, Crystal has a furniture store. She's ruining the family business. Their love has to become strong. I don't know. I haven't really thought this through. Who knows you keep digging this hole? <laughs> I'll get somewhere eventually. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, I was disappointed. I think that's the only adjective I have for this book. Yeah. Even the cover doesn't have anything really original about it. You could have at least had the little sand dollar angels on the tree or something. That would have been good. Just something. Come on. It has no individuality. I mean, it's wrapped nice. I like how the back has snowflakes coming down and that's pretty nice. But I don't know. Besides being something pretty to look at, it doesn't really tell you much. doesn't give it much character in the book doesn't necessarily have a lot of character either, so. No, not really. The only thing I can say is the scene of the real estate agent coming over and telling her everything wrong with all the renovations she just did. Accurate. Sigh. I think it looks nice. Thank you. Selling houses is very hard. But I will give the book that it is a realistic place. It feels like 
a place that you could actually go visit. And come to find out after attempting to Google the book at one point, there is a Christmas by the Sea event in Maine. That's cool. So there's a whole hullabaloo with the title of the book also being the title of the festival. I don't know if it's anything like is described in the book, but it is a thing that exists. So I think she did a good job of the place setting. It's definitely an interesting place. I never would have thought about Maine for Christmas. And I know nothing about collecting sand dollars, so I will assume everything said is real. I have several sand dollars and have been collecting sand dollars for years. And the last time I was at the beach, I found like 10. So I don't know about the whole minus tide after a storm thing. But I've found sand dollars my entire life. But I also go to the beach in Florida or the South Carolina coast or the Georgia coast. So Yeah, I was really surprised when she was like, oh, they're super rare. I'm like, I don't feel like they're that rare. But maybe in Maine, they are rare. Must be a Maine thing. Because <laughs> here in the South, honestly, the really fun thing is finding horseshoe crab. I don't specifically look through those. I found a couple of those too. I just think it's fun. I always have been trying to find shark teeth and have never found shark teeth. And everybody's like, oh yeah, I found shark teeth, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have never found a single shark tooth. I found jellyfish before. Oh yeah, jellyfish pop up all the time. I found a seahorse before. I don't have a lot of memories at the beach. I'm not much of a beach person. I didn't really visit the beach much until... I married into my husband's family. A beach family? Yeah, and they go to the beach every year, plus some, but definitely at least once a year. So I don't have that many memories of finding seashells or looking at things. The only time I ever went was when I was like really young once. And then I've discovered that I hate sand. I live in a beach family and will continue to be a beach family in and of myself, by myself, if I have to. You can take it. I will. I will be one less body clogging up the beach for you. I'm doing all of you a favor. Really? So yeah, the place is cool. I feel like we've talked about the place more than anything else, positively. Okay, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, that's hard. I have a hard time picking things I like. Actually, my husband described it perfectly. He was trying to explain to his mom about my reactions around Christmas. He's like, she's very easy to shop for. She likes a lot of things. But it's very hard to wow her. And I feel like that's kind of where I get. So it's really easy for me to talk about things I don't like, thus this podcast. and how every book we like, unless it's 300 pages long, we end up having very short discussions about. We just need to find horrible books to read to torture ourselves. We've done a good job of guessing. Okay, so I think my favorite Christmas movie would have to be It's a Wonderful Life, as probably cliche as that is, which I know way too much about that movie. It was actually a flop when it was first sent out because it was at the end of the 1920s and so no one was going to the movie theater because everyone was going broke. And the only reason it became so popular was when TV came a thing and they were looking for cheap movies. The studio didn't even bother keeping the rights to the movie and so TV snapped it up and played it all of the time. And so families were exposed to it again and became the classic we now know today. But I watch that every Christmas. And then the other one we always watch is Emmett Otter's Jug Band. Why? Because it's amazing. <laughs> okay. It's done by Jim Henson. And so there's a lot of puppeteering and stuff. And it's off that one story where the girl cut her hair to get him something and he gave away the thing her present was for to get her a comb for her hair. I can never remember what the dude things are. Oh, yeah. It's along those lines where he puts a hole in the wash tub to make 
a wash tub base for the jug band and she hawks her son's toolbox to get singing outfits so they can do a competition so they can get money and it ends up they both lose the competition but by performing together they get a job singing at this really fancy restaurant and it's just it's a really good movie the first time my husband ever saw it we messed up the cables to the dvd player and so for some reason it played in black and white and ever since then we'll put it on and we'll put it on normal because it's in color and he is disappointed because he's like the first time i saw it it was black and white and it just meant so much as that it's like that's not what it was though so yes, my two are It's a Water for Life and Emmett Avener's Jug Band, the classic and the forgotten. <laughs> Let's get in the Christmas spirit since this book didn't do it. What about you? My one that I personally like to watch every year is Holiday Inn. It's got some good songs in it. It's got the hotel that celebrates every holiday. Okay, so essentially there's these two dudes and they work together in showbiz. They're working with this one girl and both of them think that she likes him. And our main character's like, come away with me. And she's like, no, I'm going with this other dude. And they both leave. He was already going to go live on a farm. And she was like, I don't want to live on a farm with you. I'm going to go continue being in show business. And then he decided farm business isn't for him. And so he, he's a hotel, essentially. And then it slowly escalates from there into a hotel with like music and dancing. And they now they're only open for the holidays. But every obscure holiday known to man, they're open for Abe Lincoln's birthday and Earth Day and Arbor Day all then there's a little music number for each of those but he meets this new girl that he falls in love with and then the other dude who's broken up with the other girl who left farm dude for show business dude I'm a help with show business stuff and then meets the new girl and it's like I want you and farm dude's like you can't have this new love interest but yeah I'm explaining this so well it's a good movie <laughs> there's a good version of White Christmas in there it has Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire that's my rambling mess of an explanation Dude, it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, too. That's impressive. Oh, my other one that I don't have to explain this one. The other one that my family always watches every year that we always watch every year. It will always forever be a Christmas story forever and all eternity. Is it Die Hard? No, a Christmas story. I just said. Oh, okay. We don't watch Die Hard. I mean, sometimes we'll watch Die Hard because dad thinks it's funny, but but usually it's a Christmas story. Just the way you built it up. I feel like everyone's like, and my favorite Christmas movie is the most Christmassy Christmas story ever. Die Hard. No, it's a Christmas story. I mean, I have to go from my favorite being Holiday Inn that's racist because it has blackface in it to a Christmas story that's racist because it is. Yeah, A Christmas Story definitely blew up. It would not be acceptable today. No. <laughs> and there are sections of Holiday Inn that really need to be cut out. Meaning when they do Abraham Lincoln's birthday. That specifically really needs to be cut out. By the way, when you watch that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I just have Jim Henson puppets, little otters, and other cute animals. But let's skip over to music. We're both really, really big music people. What are some of your favorite Christmas songs? My all-time favorite is The Angel Gabriel. Your favorites tend to be on the more religious side? Oh, no. That one specifically is just my all-time favorite is The Angel Gabriel because I like that hymn. And then next down from that is Mary, Did You Know? And then the next down from that is God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. I think I tend to be on the religious side too for... Christmas songs, because, I don't know, some of the secular ones. Silver Bells is nice. There's only so much Frosty the Snowman you can take. I don't listen to Frosty the Snowman because I have to listen to that at work and I have no choice in the matter. Best story ever, though. A couple years ago, my nephews were singing this song and they didn't know the lyrics. So they just repeated Frosty the Snowman as the music went along. 
So they sang the entire song, which is Frosty the Snowman, Frosty the Snowman. That's great. That's wonderful. After three renditions of the song, my sister-in-law banned it. She was like, we're done. That's wonderful. We're not doing this anymore. I think the one religious one that I could definitely do without, I don't understand the appeal of Little Drummer Boy. I don't like it. It's not the worst thing ever, but it's not on my favorites list for sure. Just the concept of it as a song that somebody had to write who drums for a baby. No clue. I'm not a fan of it. But Mary Did You Know is definitely my favorite or one of my favorites. I don't know. I go back and forth. I can never say anything is my favorite because I'll change my mind in 10 minutes. I can for sure solidly say the Angel Gabriel is my favorite, but all the other ones are like, nah, they'll fluctuate. But I can tell you my favorite Christmas albums are definitely in no particular order. Michael Bublé. Yes. Pentatonics. Yes. And My Chemical Romance. They're okay. Have you heard their renditions? No, I haven't. They're ridiculous. But I did just remember my actual all-time favorite Christmas song. (laughs) I just said that in the other thing, but no. My actual favorite is a Straight No Chasers version of 12 Days of Christmas, which is a parody of the way it was done by a different group ages back. But it's a fun little mess. It's that gag where they drop all the paper on the stage and have to pick it all up, and then it's a mix of a whole bunch of different Christmas songs mixed into 12 Days of Christmas. It's wonderful. I really like, it's called the Christmas song, but it's Chestnuts Roasting. That one always puts me into a really Christmassy mood. Chestnuts Roasting on an open fire. And literally any of the songs where it's like, I'm missing my baby on Christmas. Yeah, I'm a sucker for those because several times my husband or at the time boyfriend slash fiance was my Christmas present because he was living at random parts of the country. He's also going to be technically my Christmas present this year, too. So I'm a sucker for those. Mariah Carey, Little Mix, literally any of them where it's I miss my baby on Christmas. Celebrate me home. Oh my goodness, that one's so beautiful. I have found out my nephews and niece have banned that from the Christmas playlist. They hate it. Oh, I love Elvis. They hate it so much. They don't like how his voice warbles. No, Elvis is awesome. My husband's like, that's what's good about him. And they're like, mm. They protested enough and they got it banned from the Christmas playlist. Blue Christmas is so good though. There's a couple other ones that are still on there, but they hate Blue Christmas with a burning passion. That's a good one. (laughs) So we've talked Christmas movies. We've talked Christmas music. Christmas decorations. Favorite way to decorate for Christmas. I was just going to say Christmas traditions in general. And I guess I could include decorations. I like having a tree decorated. I like having something to look at. I do not enjoy the process of decorating but I like when it's done. Well, I like decorating trees. I've changed my mind because I used to really like the classic blue-white lights, but my sister-in-law puts out these multicolor ones and they look really good. And so I'm starting to change my mind and think more of that vein where I'm enjoying the multicolored ones. It's fun to look at. My family, we had to change it up a bit this year because the three kittens in the household means we couldn't use the nice ornaments. And they climb the tree like every day. They scale it up and down. I know. I have the pictures to prove it. What we'll usually do is put a fire on in the fireplace in the living room and set the tree up in there. And we used to get a live one, but now we have a fake one because my parents are getting a bit older in age and we don't have the time or energy to deal with a live tree anymore. 
and we'll put on a Christmas story or some jazzy Christmas music in the background because usually there's a TV in the room. And we'll start with multicolored Christmas lights and we'll go up and down with those. And then we have a red string of beads and they're about the thickness of your thumb bead-wise. And we'll string those up and then we have a white crystalline kind of beads and they're a bit thinner. And then we string those up and then we hang the ornaments on it. You see, I have a tiny tree. And we just put up lights. I have a tiny tree, too, for my room. <laughs> oh, technically it has a skirt, too. So we're not peasants, I guess. We managed to talk my dad down from a 12-foot-tall tree to an 8-1. Oh, my goodness. So we've had a fake 8-foot-tall tree for about five years now. Yeah, that's probably a good bit. We have a hard time putting the star on top, and it's fine. <laughs> We'll probably get like a six foot tree when we finally get at the house where we can appropriately put up a tree. But that little tree has done us good. You know how old tinsel trees, the old ones, you couldn't wrap lights around because they're metal and how they would have those color wheels that they would sit behind them. They would spin the red, green, blue, yellow wheels. Yeah. Okay, well, we had one for the longest time that we would actually set behind our trees until one of us broke the panes and I don't remember it. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I like Christmas lights. I think they're really pretty. I'm not a huge ornament person. I like looking at them at other people's tree, but I don't want to buy them to put it on my own tree. Well, our family, one of our traditions is we gift an ornament to each family member every year. And so that's how we've slowly gained our collections of ornaments. So each one usually has a memory. Each year, mom will usually think back to the events of the year, and then we'll usually get an ornament that reflects that. There was a year I got a suitcase, the year I moved to Minnesota. Sometimes they're just random things that she thinks that we'll like. Like there was a year I got a hippopotamus and a tutu. I have a lot of baby doll ornaments from when I was a little girl. I don't know. We thought about doing that the first year when we got married. We did buy some of the cheaper little ball ones to put on the tree. But as soon as we put the lights on, we were like, this is good. It is a tiny tree. So maybe once we get a real one and it's all big and whatever, it'll look kind of empty without ornaments and then we'll start doing stuff like that. But the most we kind of have is we do a little Christmas Eve thing together where we can open one present early. And that's usually really sweet. It's always the one we're most excited about, typically. Usually a video game. So we spend the rest of the night doing that. Or one year it was a book that he opened up. And so he read a bunch of it that night. Yeah, that sounds about right for James. (laughs) I think he'll open the book early again this year. We do that too, but it's always pajamas. His family does pajamas too. They do a secret. There's so many of them. They're five kids, and then most of them are married. So they do a secret Santa kind of thing, but not really secret, where each person has somebody, and everyone has somebody for pajamas, and then you have someone else for present. And so everybody has the pajamas that they wear, and then Christmas morning, everyone is wearing the pajamas while the kids open for Santa stuff and things. Nice. I actually had a really funny thing. My brother-in-law just got engaged, and his fiance was messaging my husband. It's like, the same like robes for her pajamas. And then 10 minutes later, she texts back, wait a second, Sam has me. Tell her I really like robes for pajamas. (laughs) Okay, I will make a special note of that. (laughs) And Christmas Eve, they have the, they do nativity pageant with the kids where they dress up and then one of the adults reads the script and they sing a couple of the hymns and stuff. It's really sweet. They go all out. I feel like they really go out for Christmas, which is nice. That is nice. Christmas is kind of nice with a really big family. I like it with my medium-sized family. I consider it relatively medium-sized. You got a good amount of people. 
Yeah, but we don't invite people over. It's just immediate family. Which is very good this year. Yeah. We used to do a bit more. We'd go to the Christmas Eve service and I would play handbells in the Christmas Eve service. I remember handbells. I played handbells in Minnesota. I managed to get into a handball choir up there, which was fun. I was part of the world Guinness record for most handbells played at one time that was broken in 2016 in the Mall of America. I did that. I was part of that. That was 664 bells. You did that. Sixth graders pulled off the book from their library and read about your record. It was a lot of fun. That does sound really cool. On a side note, that sounds like a headache to practice. We all practiced separately, and then I don't think we had a practice beforehand, but there was a lot of explanations and a lot of um, make sure that this beat lands here when this person does this so that we can all stay together because it's a lot of bells. Good thing you had eight years of band experience. Oh, yeah. They gave me a little handbell keychain and stole my keys. That reminds me, my grandparents were Presbyterian. And so every Christmas Eve, they would have church and you would go. And I don't remember what happened most of the time. I think it was telling the Christmas story and stuff. The only thing I really remembered or cared about was there was a point where they would turn out the lights and they would light candles. And so you go person to person and light the candles and you would get to hold this candle in this cup so none of the wax would get on you. And that was my favorite part. So I got to hold a candle. And then I think they would sing two really common ones like Silent Night and something else. I can't remember. But that was a cool experience. But yeah, Christmas has so much stuff. So many memories. Christmas is just one of those things. It's a mix of nostalgia and current memories. I don't know. It's a weird feeling, but it's a nice feeling. But this book did not make me feel any of those feelings. No, not at all. To segue back into that. Good segue. Thank you. So what would be your one question for the author? Why didn't you give her a backbone? Why is she so wishy-washy? She doesn't need to be this wishy-washy. I can understand a little bit of wishy-washy, but please, for the love of goodness, give her a backbone. I would have enjoyed the book so much more if she told Crystal off. Right? Why does Caleb have to do it? You give her a piece of your mind. And we don't even get to see Caleb do it. You know what would have been nice? If we actually saw that happen. Because now that I think about it, Caleb's like, yeah, she's fired. I'll tell her tomorrow. And then the book ends. Tell her now. Tell her now. I want to hear it. I want to know. I want to hear every single juicy word that comes out of your face. And I want to hear about her ugly crying. If we're going to do this, let's do this. Give me the tea. (laughs) I want it. And the unrealistic things, but oh well. I'm curious how a Californian-born and Oregon-raised author ever learned so much about Christmas in Maine. We're assuming that it's accurate. This is true, but even if it isn't, it at least feels real. Yeah, to some extent. It feels like a real place. Like, I'm sure if we went to Maine, Maine people would tell us all of the errors in the book. But for someone who's never been to Maine, it's realistic. Maybe. But I would be curious about her research through that, how she came up with the idea of having Christmas in Maine. Maybe she attended that A Christmas by the Sea festival at some point. Or, I don't know, had Christmases in Maine or something. I'd be curious why she picked there of all places. I mean, she's written 200 plus books, so she's got to come up with new premises somehow. And I'm curious to know how. 
So rating wise, I'd give it a Southern Snow Day out of 10. There's a lot of buildup for something much too short and kind of disappointing. I would give it that feeling that you get when you've been outside walking in the snow for too long and your toes are really cold and then you're sitting in front of a fire and your toes are slowly starting to warm up and it's supposed to be nice and warm and cozy, but actually it hurts. Oh, no, it hurts. No. Out of five. (laughs) That thing, oh, I hate that. You're welcome. I think ending on frozen toes slowly warming up is probably a good place to stop. (laughs) I kind of do want to read her actual what she's known for. It's called the Christmas Angel Project. That sounds nice. There's a potential of being okay. Yeah. This book was toes warming up on a fire (laughs) in a southern snow day. So mostly slush, if it managed to stick at all. Kids always get this idea that we're gonna have like 20 inches and they can make a snowman. Yeah, you can make a snowman. It's gonna be two inches tall though. And it's gonna be kind of brown and a little bit yellow. It's mainly gonna be twigs and leaves with a little bit of frost. And then northerners are gonna make fun of you. Like you didn't feel bad enough already. I'm sorry that up north you guys get actually snow, whereas down here we get snow, it melts, and then we have black ice. It is much harder to drive on ice than it is on snow. Speaking of someone who spent a year in Minnesota. Let us have what we have. Anyway, with that PSA out of the way. Thank you so much for joining us. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter or Instagram. And you can help support our podcast by checking us out on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get our bonus episodes, where we look at the movie adaptations to some of your favorite books. This month, we're checking out a Christmas classic, Skipping Christmas, and it's even more famous movie adaptation, Christmas with the Cranks. Join us next time when we'll be going through... Hercule Poirot's Christmas by Agatha Christie. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time.